0: Psalm 40, from verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Let's pray. O oh God, what love you have shown us, what mercy you have bestowed, what grace you've poured out. And what should our poor hearts be doing and feeling and speaking this night, if not praise to you? Lord, will you make us conscious again, more accurately, more clearly, more deeply, more richly, more feelingly conscious of those mercies bestowed and the privileges that belong to us as your beloved children, that we may, as we come to the table later, as we hear your word preached now, find our hearts truly lifting heavenward to praise you for your great salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This psalm is a song for a great choir. The Lord Jesus could be considered the chief singer. While there are perhaps notes in David's version that don't quite overlap with our Lord's experience, yet the fundamental thrust of trust and deliverance and praise would sit well in the mouth of our beloved Saviour. If he is the chief singer, you and I are the chorus. We are the ones who surround him. We are the ones who echo out those great themes. He has sung it in measure out of his own experience. We sing it in our measure out of our own, following in his footsteps. Our song then as we sing it, David's song as he sang it here, is the fruit of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our response to what he has done for us. His experience is the dominant one. It informs everything that we are, everything that we have, and we then respond to it. If you like, Christ gives us the pitch. Christ sets the key. Christ takes the melody, and we follow in his his way. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. The first thing I want to notice from this third verse in particular is the work of grace. And that work of grace is, in this verse, implied. It carries us back into the first two verses. You notice that God has put a new song in the mouth of his servant, There's a sense then in which this new song is not even really a response to God. It is itself a gift from God. It is the simple reality that the Lord has put a new song in the mouths of his people. He has given us a reason to sing. He has given us a heart to sing. It's a sovereign deposit. God has bestowed this mercy upon us. And what we are doing when we respond is really then just working out what his great grace is and has done. And in order to understand why we've got this new song to sing, we need to appreciate where the psalm begins and where our experience begins. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. This psalm begins in abject misery and in the deepest of distress. It is a horrible pit, it is the miry clay. Perhaps the the closest sense we might have to this is the experience of the prophet Jeremiah. You remember when he was let down into that dungeon pit? It was a hole in the ground and at the bottom is all the muck and all the filth and Jeremiah is let down into the dungeon and he sinks in it up to his chest. And the only way that he can get out is when uh, the eunuch, Ebed-Melech, I think is the name, he sends down those ropes with the cushions, with the the old rags, and Jeremiah has to attach some kind of harness around his body with the rags underneath, and then trying to pull him up so that they don't pull his hips out of their sockets or his shoulders, his arms out of his shoulders. They draw him out of the darkness, out of the filth, out of the desolation, out of the isolation there at the bottom of that. pit, And when David is singing in this way, he sings looking back on a similar experience. Not one primarily physical, it would seem, but David's spiritual experience was such that he could use the same language that would have described Jeremiah's physical experience to paint a portrait of what went on in his heart abject misery and deep distress. And it's the kind of language that fits, first of all, our experience, our condition before we know the Lord God. Now, we may imagine that things are well with us. We'll look at how that might work in a few moments. But, But this is the state of things when we come to our senses apart from God. And however much we might have thought we were enjoying life and however much we thought we were, we were having it all and whatever we were pursuing and whatever we thought we were obtaining. When the sense of our sinfulness came upon us, perhaps a sense of the emptiness of the life we were pursuing, that the vanity of pursuing the things of this world, the filth of our own souls, the trouble that we were in, the judgment of God hanging over us to be in a horrible pit, to be trapped in the miry clay. This was our distress. This was our condition. We were stuck and we could not free ourselves. Perhaps there was that, that sense if you've ever been trapped in a particular place, perhaps trapped in a dark place, you've, you've perhaps gone into a cave or you've, you've fallen uh, into a deep ditch or you're, you're cut off in, in a house and there's a, there's a window or there's a, a hole in the roof or there's a glimmer of light somewhere in the distance but you're stuck, you're trapped, you can't get out. You can see that there's light but you cannot reach it. You you can see that there's a way out but you cannot do it by yourself and that's the way david was and that's the way that we are by nature we're in a deep and horrible pit we are trapped in the miry clay the distress of our distance from god the darkness of a sinful soul but i think we could also say that there's something here of some experience for god's people after conversion Perhaps it may be at a time of fearful temptation in which we have succumbed to some particular sin. Or it may be when we are being assaulted either by uh, Satan himself and in our minds uh, things seem very dark and we are brought low and we, we do not hear the word of God and we cannot handle the word of God. Now grief overwhelms us and makes us deaf to truth. Or perhaps we're being accused and assaulted and the accusations are flooding in against us and the world we feel its hatred and that the devil's antagonism toward us and the lusts of our flesh bubble up and we feel that we are trapped like this. We know that this is this is painful, this is miserable, but we lack the strength to get ourselves out of trouble. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Notice what God does for the man or the woman under those circumstances who calls upon him. He inclined to me and heard my cry. It's God turning to us maybe you've been the one who cries you know what it's like to shout from a distance and in the, some someone turns did I, did I hear something or perhaps you, you were walking along it was a, maybe a little animal or a, a little child and you just heard and the the edge of your your faculties is, did, did i hear did i hear someone scream You've been lying in bed at night and you think, was that, was that someone shouting in distress? Should I get up and do something about that? And what do you, you turn your ear, you incline, you go looking. What's taking place? This is what God does when, as it were, the cry of the needy reaches his ear. He hears the cry. He pays attention to the sobs of distress that arise out of the darkness. And he lifted me up. He brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. I had not the strength to get myself out. I had not the reach to lift myself up into safety and brightness and cleanness and light. But like the man who let down the ropes, made sure they were bound around Jeremiah. You notice the tenderness. He could have pulled Jeremiah to pieces. But no, the Lord in his mercy, in his kindness... He wraps you up in such a way that when you are drawn out, you come out whole. He pulls you out of that desolation, pulls you out of that isolation into light and into life. And then he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Put me on solid ground. Gave me something to stand on. Rather than the, the trapping muck and mire of the pit. Now I know where my feet are. I have solid ground and a straight path. Is this not a picture of salvation as a whole? Isn't this what God has done for you, Christian brother or sister? And isn't this what he measure he's continued to do to you when either you've got into trouble or you've got yourself into trouble, when you've slid back into the muck and into the filth, and you've gone back to God like Ezra confessing your sin, and you found a God still ready to hear, still ready to receive, still inclining his ear to you, still hearing your cry, still reaching out in tenderness, pulling you up out of the muck and the filth, and establishing you once again on the rock Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of what it means to be delivered from sin, from death, from hell. From misery, from emptiness, from vileness, from rebellion, from disobedience. It is the hope of every sinner here tonight. God delivers us. Not because we climbed halfway up ourselves. Not because we'd made it near to the top and he just gave us a bunk up for the rest of the bit. But God reached down into the depths of our filth, our depravity and our need. He came near in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he lifted us up and he established us. He set us, he settled us, and he is keeping us. My friend, God delivers sinners like us. And if he hasn't yet delivered you, call upon him, for the Lord inclines to the one who cries. You wait for him. You go on looking to him. You call upon God. He loves to hear such cries and he is ready swiftly and completely to bless. And so he has put a new song in my mouth. That he has put is the language of grace. This is what God has done. And here is the the fruit of that work. That now there is a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. The work of grace gives way to the song of praise. Now, in a sense, everybody sings. People sing because of sin. It's the roar of ungodliness. The scriptures speak of the song of the drunkards. You know it, you may have sung it yourself at some time. This is not now a shout of anger, rebellion, or resentment against God for the way He's dealing with us. It's not even now the moan of conviction. That was the cry that went up from the pit. It's not certainly a howl of despair, because God has drawn us out and he set our feet upon the rock. No, the call of prayer now gives rise to a song of praise, and I should say too, not a mumble of misery. God has put a new song in the mouth of his people. We have been redeemed. We have been delivered. We were lost, but we are found. We were in darkness. Now we are in light. We were far from him. Now we are in his embrace. We were down in the pit. And now our feet are upon the rock. All is well with our souls. A new experience then gives rise to a new song. And every fresh understanding of the way that God deals with us in our need should give rise to a fresh expression of praise. Before, we didn't know, and so we couldn't sing. But grace has loosened our tongues. We've got something to say about God and about his goodness. It's to our God that we sing, and it's a song of praise. Before, we were singing in a minor key. Now we sing in a major key. We've got some one or two lovely tunes in our hymn books that do that so well. And often they're attached to hymns that are crafted around it. I think of one, six lines. The first three, I think it is, they're in a minor key. And there's an expression of contrition, of need, of dependence. And then there's that shift. And you're lifted up. And there's a major key, because what you've got now is a response to what was going before. Yes, this was true, but now this is the case. And the psalmist is saying, that's my life. Before I was singing in a minor key, but now God has given me this song of triumph, this song of joy, this song of praise, because I am singing to our God And remember, this is the choir element. Yes, the psalmist speaks out of his personal experience, but it's not an isolated experience. It says, God has delivered me. Hasn't he delivered you, brother? Hasn't he delivered you, sister? Isn't this what he's done for you? What are we singing? I'm singing praise to our God. Are you singing praise to our God? Let's sing to our God together. This is uniting. This is what God has done for each one of us. We have been brought to the Lord of covenant mercy. And now we sing to our God It is praise to him who has delivered us. What do we sing about? To whom do we sing? A God of might and of mercy, of pity joined with power. We sing of his loving kindness in Jesus Christ. We sing of his glory in salvation. We praise the glory of the grace of God. And there are portions, are there not, of our New Testament, let alone of Psalms like this in the Old, where you have that almost hymnic, poetic quality. You have those bursts of praise at the beginning of some of Paul's letters. You have those heights of expression when Peter is thinking of what God is to his people. You have that lifting up, you have that Profound awareness that on the one hand makes you realise where you've come from and on the other hand lifts you up to where you will be and shows you where you are on that path of the just that shines brighter and brighter unto perfect day. And there's this thrill of joy that enables a Paul or a Silas to sing in prison for God is their God. I mean, they were in a pit and they were singing. Why? Because there was no pit in their soul. There was no clay in their hearts. They were free men in Christ Jesus. And so even in the midst of sorrows and distresses, the saints glorify God because he is God to us. He is God for us. He has delivered us. He's brought us to himself. He's lavished his kindness in Jesus upon you. You are his and he is yours. The work of grace gives wrong rise to the song of praise. Can you sing? Not necessarily with this or with these. He has put a new song in my mouth. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, your lips are speaking. This is a song that comes out of your mouth, from the depths of your soul. Have you sung recently praise to our God? Have you had that, that sense of wonder, that thrill, that amazement, that delight, that joy? And yes, it's, uh, uh, we're, we're saved sinners. We're speaking today, I think it's Cooper's hymn, Why was I made to taste the feast and enter while there's room, while thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? There's still an element of wonder there. Lord, why me? I mean, I was in the pit. That's where I deserved to be. I was lost. I was gone. I was a rebel. I was in darkness. And you came for me. I didn't even know to cry out until you shone your light upon me. But when I did... You inclined to me. You heard my cry. You lifted me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. You set my feet upon a rock. You have established my steps. Why are we robbed of this song of praise to God? Brothers and sisters, it's because we've lost sight of where we were. We've lost sight of what we've received. If this song of praise is stifled in our hearts and in our mouths, where do we need to go? Back to the God of grace. Back to the God of grace, more even than back to the grace of God. It's his saving goodness. He has loved us. You need to go back to Calvary. You need to go back again to the cross of Jesus Christ. You need to go back to the one who hangs bleeding and dying who stoops down into the darkness and misery of the pit and lifts us up, though he himself suffers and dies. If you want to praise God, you must begin with God. If you want to praise the God of grace, then you need to contemplate the grace of God. You need to find those portions of God's word that remind you of these things. Perhaps something that was preached to you years ago, Perhaps some portion that's been blessed to you in your private devotion. Perhaps some discussion that you've had. There are, there are books that you've read and you think, oh, this does my soul good. This is full of God and of his Christ. This trains my voice. This turns my heart back to him. This impresses upon my soul once again the pit from which I have come and the heights to which God has raised me. How then can I not praise a God who has heard my prayer? How can I be what I am and where I am and not give thanks to the God of my salvation and exalt him? And there's a consequence to this. The work of grace gives rise to the song of praise and the song of praise involves a call to faith. God has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. What will they see? Can't see a song. Might be able to see someone singing it. But they will see God's salvation and they will see your response to it. They will see your heart thrilling because of what God is in himself and to you. What God has done, not in abstraction, but in drawing near to you to bless you. And when people hear us sing, and maybe literally, it might be the shower, it might not be the most dignified place to sing a song of praise, but do you ever sing because God is good to you? Do you ever go around your house praising him? Is there ever some, some hymn uh, maybe even a few verses, maybe you can 't even remember all the words, but you can kind of get through the first one or two lines, and then you can da 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 the rest and but yet there 's a sense in your so God has been good to me, God has shown kindness to me, and maybe there's a, why is Mum so happy? Anybody ask that of you? Why is Dad so cheerful? Why is my you You know some of you the name Richard Baxter in Kidderminster. Richard Baxter was a one of the Puritans. He was a faithful pastor and preacher in Kidderminster when he went there. the town was renowned for its godlessness. He instituted a program where he'd visit all the people in the in the town. Uh, it was a sort of a parish system that he'd embrace so he had a measure of authority to do that. He was preaching he was visiting and after a, a few months or years. You could walk down the streets in Kidderminster. Do you know what you heard echoing out of the windows of the houses? The psalms of families worshipping God together. At first, that would only perhaps been one home. And the neighbours heard. And they thought, what's happened to them? I know the noises that used to come out of there. I used to hear him come home roaring drunk at night used to hear his wife crying after he'd beaten her. used to hear the kids swearing at one another. But they've got a new song in their mouths. And that song echoed on through the town as the grace of God pulled one after another out of the miry clay and set the feet of those who'd been trapped in muck on the rock Christ Jesus. Why not now? Why not amongst us? It may not be you singing your hymns of praise. It may be the song of a godly life, the song of a cheerful face, the song of a sweet testimony, the song of a calm confidence, the song of someone who knows God as God and our God. And when our lives Echo out such songs when they come from our lips, when they shine on our faces, when they reverberate out of our hearts. The psalmist says there will be two consequences many will see it and fear, and will trust in the Lord. Does the song of holy joy make people dread God? Holy dread but to tremble before him. Does our song of praise to God exalt his majesty and his mercy in such a way that people begin to understand who the living and true God is and to tremble before him, to fall on their faces because of his mercy towards sinners such as us? This is the response of someone who is beginning to see God at the centre of all things. A compelling testimony that rings out in the song of praise that we as believers raise to our God. It tells people this God is real and this God is near and this God is high and he's holy and he's lifted up. This God sits enthroned over all and this God reaches down to deal with men and women upon earth. This God is worthy of adoration. This God is worthy of praise. This is a God to be feared. And from fear, faith. Because this is the kind of fear that does not drive someone from God but draws someone to God. I want such a God as he has. I want the God of my mother. I want the God of my father. I want the God of my brother. I want the God of my sister. I want the God of my neighbor. I want the God of my colleague. I want a God who can do that in the life, in the soul, and on the lips of a man or a woman like me. To come and trust in him alone. I want God to do for me what God has done for him. What God has done for her. I want to obey him. I want to follow him. I want those mercies which he knows, which she knows. What does that look like? What does it sound like? Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My eyes you have, my ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. It's a life of fear. It's a life of faith. It is eminently Christ-like. What does your song of praise say? My friends, do we compel and attract simultaneously by the testimony of our joy in God, the praise of our Redeemer? What has he done for us? Shouldn't that echo out of my soul more than it does? Shouldn't that resound through my life? Shouldn't that touch all my relations? Shouldn't that transform my disposition? Spurgeon said, I do not know a better soul trap than a happy Christian experience. Are you a soul trap? Do people look at us and think, whatever that honey is, I want some. He's put a new song in my mouth. Has he? If you're a Christian, yes. If God has delivered you, yes. What are the words to that song? Well, they amount to this. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Friends, can you sing it tonight? You have a voice like a donkey. You have a sore throat, you may be recovering from COVID. It's not what it's about. If you can croak, praise to God, you croak. Why? Because fresh mercies call for fresh songs. Great mercies call for great testimonies. All of it flowing out of Jesus Christ. It's not about our skill in singing. It's not about the eloquence of our words. It's not about some performance. It's not some Pharisaic look at me and see how holy I am kind of attitude. It is the spontaneous, instantaneous, instinctive, joyful praise of the man or the woman who knows God in Jesus Christ. Can we sing it? If we can't, and if we can't as we should, let us go back again. That's what we're doing this evening. Where did I learn to sing praise to my God? Where was my heart first tuned to this new song? Where did my lips first learn their stumbling words? And God came to me in his mercy, found me in my misery, heard my cry, lifted me up and set my feet upon the rock. You or I have come this evening saying where do I begin I don't know what to say I feel dry I feel cold God and his mercy has provided a route back to the rock a lifting up out of the pit a place where we are reminded of his great mercy toward us can you sing it well that's one question but can you hear it those of you who are not yet Christians, do you hear this song of praise? Do you see it at all? Perhaps if we're believers here, we say, I wish, I, I wish it were clearer. I wish it were brighter. I wish it were higher. I wish it were more tuneful. Yes. But is there nothing in the lives of God's people here that tells you that God is good and worthy of praise, worthy of honor, worthy of our adoration, worthy of our service? When you see this, when you hear this, do you fear and do you have faith? Do you tremble and trembling trust? Do you come to this God? Do you say, as you can and as you should, even this moment, I now am in the pit. I am in the miry clay. I am lost and I am in need. Perhaps as Christians... Even tonight, you and I need to hear this song echoing out from another heart and another mouth. Yes, that's my God. That's my reminder. That's my testimony. That's our God. And he lifts us up and he sets us down. And out of fear and out of faith, we come again to sing a new song. Praise to our God. Amen.